Morning, church. Morning. We are in a series made for more, made for more. So if you have a copy of God's word, if you have your handout, we are in week five. All throughout the series, we've been emphasizing our new identity in Christ. Who am I? If I'm in Jesus, if I have been born again, I've experienced full forgiveness, and I'm now submitting my life to Jesus as king, I am alive. I am alive. Say that with me. I am alive. Do you, do you experience that, not just know that? And that's what we're going after today. Are you ready to jump in? If you are, say jump. jump. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. Would you turn with me there? It's on page 976 in my Bible. Everybody say, who cares? Yeah, exactly. Who cares? God's word wide open there on your device, paper, old-fashioned. You smell it? That's good. Papery, pulpy, goodness, God's glorious inspired words on them. We can track through this together and leave. I want to know for a fact that when I became a Christian, God raised me to new life, resurrection power. And I, I don't want to just yawn. Oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I used to be dead and now I'm alive. Ugh. Is it lunchtime? I hope you, you leave going, if this is true, everything's different. Everything's changed. I know who I am. I don't have to live any more questioning who am I? Why am I here? What am I made for? You were made for more. You were made to live alive. Death and darkness to now light and life. Are you experiencing it? If you're needing a bottom line, like what is this all about? Just, just get down to it. Can you summarize this entire message? Yes, I can. My God has taken me from death to life. He deserves all my worship and service. That's it. If we were to summarize it, so if you're taking notes, jot this down. Remember, remember, every say remember, uh, because we forget. I was dead in my sins, unable to respond to God. I was dead in my sins, unable to respond to God. I need to remember this. So if you're in chapter 2, book of Ephesians, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's so fired up about the gospel, the good news, but he needs to remind the church, church, there's bad news. In order for you to receive the good news, you need to know the bad news. Here it is, remember this. Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you, you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all, everybody say all, we all once lived. We, we all once lived there in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature, by nature, we're born this way, born into it, children of wrath. Children of wrath, that's how we all entered in, just like the rest of mankind. Paul is so committed to reminding the church of things that are easily forgotten. Do you remember who you used to be? Do you remember how you came in? Do you remember how you used to live? Do you remember your lifestyle, your mindset, your attitude? Do you remember... For some of us, we weren't as bad as we could have been. We weren't as bad as we maybe should have been. We weren't maybe even viewing ourselves as bad at all. But Paul says, we were all a mess. We were all hardened. We were all in sin, in need of being saved. Here's, here's a big question I want us to ask. If we're talking about being in Christ and being saved, salvation, salvation, to be rescued, we have to ask, the question, save from what? Save from what exactly? 
And I love that in three verses, three verses, Paul unpacks several areas. If you're taking notes, I, I want you to jot this down. What, and I'm not even just making up a list like I usually do, right? No, it, it, some of the lists are good, okay? This list, we're just looking right at Scripture. This is right here in the Bible. See it for ourselves. Paul, at least six things, at least six things. Say from what? If I need to remember I was dead in my sins, I needed rescue. You must be saved. Saved from what? Number one, death. If you want to just jot that down, death. From verse one, I was physically alive, but spiritually dead. Sin kills. Spiritual death. All of us. What does he say? And you were, what, what does your version say? Verse one, and you were really, really sick. Dead. Dead means dead, and dead is all that dead will ever mean. Dead, dead, unable. You weren't really sick. You weren't just wandering and straying from God and then you kind of just wandered home. You weren't just like on your deathbed and in your very last breath, you said, God saved me spiritually and then he resurrected you from your spiritual hospital bed. You were, you were dead. I was dead, dead. Saved from what? Saved from death. Praise God. If that is you, you have a story of God saved me from death from death, spiritual death, eternal death. But that, that's not all. That's not all. There's more. Everybody say there's more. Oh yeah, we're just getting warmed up, baby. Number two, here we go. Sins. What do we need to be saved from anyway? We need to be saved from not just sin, but sins all over, everywhere, around you, in you, from birth. What does the verse one say? You were dead in trespasses and sins. Sins of commission, sins of omission. Say what? Yeah, exactly. Sins of commission, I committed sin, I actively chose the wrong, but we're not only choosing the bad. Sins of omission is that God said, do the good. And we're like, nah, no thanks. So not only do we say, do not enter, do not go there, and we're like, whatever, that's not for me, and I'm going to do it anyway. We also have good things to do. We've been created, we've been made for more, for the good stuff, and we're like, I'm not interested in the good stuff. I'm interested in the bad stuff. I commit sin and I avoid the good to do and I do the bad. We're, we're doubly bad. Everybody say that's bad news. Being doubly bad is bad, bad, bad news, okay? So we have sins. We have the idea of trespasses and sins. Trespassing. Any, anybody understand the concept of trespassing? What's a trespass? You crossed a line. There was a border. You don't belong here. Uh, you were supposed to stay on your side, and instead you went on somebody else's side. Uh, guess what? One, one thing that anybody would know nationwide is, uh, what happens when you trespass in Texas, y'all? Right. You, you don't go, oops, I, I kind of crossed over on your property. Dead. Right? That was number one. Death. Death. Right? So when you trespass, you deserve death. You deserve to die. Stay on your side of the line. Get off my property or else. Guess what? Something better than, than, than somebody kind of scouting out their property and with a shotgun is that God sees every single time, every single person steps over the line. And how often has that happened in your life, in my life? Like minute by minute, we're always, nope, you don't belong there. Nope, that's not what you were told to do. You, you crossed a line. It says you're trespassing as a way of life. You're in and sin. So when we consider where the line is clear, sometimes we justify it if it's occasional. It was an accident. I didn't know. Well, that's where Paul continues. Everybody say, keep going. 
Here we go. Here we go. Number three, if you're taking notes, lifestyle. It's not just that we're safe from death and sins. We're safe from a lifestyle, an entire worldly lifestyle. What, is, what does he say? Verse two, in which you once walked. The idea of walk, uh, if you were hanging out in, in the area of the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, everybody would understand that like your walk of life, your way of life, you, you walk a certain way. It means you are choosing a certain culture and lifestyle to create everywhere you go. And all of us are guilty of choosing a, a way of life, walking a lifestyle that is contrary to what God is calling us to, what he made us for, what he purposed for our lives to be. We're worldly. We're worldly in so many creative ways. And guess, guess what some of the bad news is? With this evil lifestyle that we so naturally choose, sometimes we don't even see that it's, it's really that bad. But it's because it's so easy. It's so easy, right? So track with me. It's so much easier as a, a spouse to be able to demand that they treat you a certain way and you don't necessarily have to reciprocate, right? It's so much easier to demand of children to obey your authority, but yet it's really, really hard to live in a way that's worthy of respect and easy submission for them. It's easy as a boss to bark orders and demand everybody just shut up and do their job and overtime while you take vacation. It's really easy to be an employee that comes in late and leaves early and takes a little bit. It's really easy to do the wrong. It's really easy to live a life where we are constantly choosing, not God's way, my way. It's easy to live selfishly. That's why we're all bent, bent, bent towards this lifestyle. And God calls it calls it evil. Every time we're selfish, every time we choose me, every time we choose my way, he says, you're not just doing it once in a while. It's not like you stumbled into sin and you crossed over and you trespassed. You're living a lifestyle, a worldly lifestyle. You once walked. And what does he call it? You're following the course of this world. Well, we have Romans 12. I don't know if you want to jot this address down. We, we swim downstream instead of going against it. And here's the call. If you're a Christian, Romans 12.1, Paul said in the book of Romans, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. There is a pattern. There is a flow. There is an easy way to go. But he says instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to talk about that in a second. All right, number four. Number four. Everybody say number four. Satan. Of, of course, Lucifer is going to show up at, at some point in, in the story, right? We have verse 2. Why is there this pattern, this course of the world? Why, 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 why? Everybody ask why. Oh, Paul has answers for you. Why do we have this pattern? Why is the world so worldly? Because it's following, do you see it? Do you see it? Second half of verse two. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Anybody tracking with that? The prince of the, the, the what? There's a lot, of, a lot of terms for Satan. We can talk about Lucifer. We can talk about uh, the father of lies. We can talk about the accuser of the brethren. Oftentimes in Scripture, we're talking about the, the prince of this world temporarily given authority. In the meantime, Satan does have great jurisdiction on this world. Do we believe that? 
we believe that? Like, is everything the way it's supposed to be? Is everyone submitting under the lordship of Jesus? Do we see Jesus on the throne? Everybody saying, yes, sir. Satan temporarily has been given jurisdiction. He's called the prince of the power of the air, of this earth, of this world, just for a little while. Everybody say a little while. Temporarily, part of the curse, part of the fall, is that Satan will be a vicious bulldog on a short leash, Jesus holding tightly onto that leash. But temporarily, he has some sway. He has some persuasion. He has some power. We see here that Satan is part of the problem. So we, we, we can say, Satan made me do it. Well, in part, he created a perfect context for us to be born into and to lead us astray. So anybody want a, a very, very brief history of, of Satan? Can we do it in 30 seconds? <sighs> Lucifer was a worship leader of heaven. He's known as the morning star, and he rebelled and wanted to be just like God. And in that rebellion, he took a third of the angels with him. They were cast out of heaven. They were not just cast into hell. They were cast here on earth temporarily. And in the end, Revelation says that there's going to be a lake of fire that all of them are going to be bound and thrown into. Hell was not created for people. Hell was created for Satan and his angels. But those that rebelled, just like they did, join them in an eternal torment place called hell. The end, okay? Later, we will do a deeper dive into that. But think about this. There is a current moving through our world because Satan is the mini-boss temporarily. He's the fill-in until God is finished doing his, his work. And here we go, number five. Not just death, not just sins, not just lifestyle, not just that Satan we need to be saved from. Satan, we need to be saved from this lifestyle. We need to be saved from sins and death. We also have an old nature. Old nature, number five. You're taking notes. Write this down. Old nature, we see in verse three. Do you see it? See it, verse three? Among whom we all lived. We all lived this way in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. There's an old nature. We were born with a sin nature. Okay? So we, we talk about this. We, we call it original sin. Does that sound familiar? Okay? We don't want to speak, speak Christianese. We want, we want there to be clarity. Okay? Um, it's not just that over time some people chose the wrong way. It's not just that certain people have certain personality types that are kind of bent towards sin. We all are born in sin because of the fall. We, we don't know what type of fruit, but Adam and Eve said yes to the forbidden fruit. And since then, there has been a curse. And in that curse, part of it is all of us are no longer going to live perfectly on a perfect earth. We are going to live imperfectly in an imperfect world until the new heavens and the new earth. We all have this nature that says my way. And when God says go right, you go left. And when God says no, you say yes. And when he says yes, you say no. It's in us. And you know what's cute? Sometimes I talk about that from birth, that, that we have sin already in us. And many are going to give pushback about, are you saying the cute little chubby cheek babies? Little, little babies have sin in them? And I just say, you don't have children, do you? Bless your heart. Um, you, you don't spend a lot of time around those cute little chubby cheek babies, do you? It doesn't take long for the what's deeply infused inside of them from birth to come out of them. It doesn't, doesn't take a long time. You know that I, with all of my children, I never once sat down and said, 
okay, this train, this toy train, it's really hard and it's got sharp edges. And if you like slam it into your brother's forehead really hard, you could probably draw some blood. I just, I never had to teach them that. They're like, oh, oh, this works. This is, this is fun. It's fun when we're on the giving side, not the receiving side, but nobody has to teach anybody anything, right? Original sin, old nature, it's deeply ingrained within us. And here we have the last half of Romans 12. If you remember, if you didn't jot it down the first time, Romans 12, 1, from, from the start we said, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, a lifestyle, a pattern, but be transformed. This is Paul's challenge. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew your mind. Well, why is that important? Well, what does it say? What does it say? The old nature among whom we all once lived, verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind. We need to be changed. We need to be made new. We went from death and we need to be made alive in every area of us. And he says, a big area that it starts is, you've believed lies for so long, the renewal of the mind. How do we renew our minds? Now, I need to get under Scripture. I need to get into this book until this book gets into me I need my mind to be washed and scrubbed because all day long I am being bombarded with propaganda from the prince of this world. And so I need help to think on truth when everything that is coming at me is, is a lie. There's an old nature, but here, here's the beauty of it. God promises that if you're His, you have died. You, you have died to the old nature. The old is done. There is new. I hope that's good news for you. Are you saying that I like I can change? Are you saying that I can maybe be different? That I don't have to live the rest of my life saying it's just the way I am, it's just the way I am. I mean, if you knew my parents and grandparents, if you knew my household, if you knew how I grew up, if you knew my personality, if you knew all the letters after my name, if you knew all the medication I was on, if you knew what kind of conditions and traumatic scenarios that I've been through, and guess what? The old is done when you come to Jesus. The new, it begins. Does it happen overnight? No, but it is a process that starts when you go from death to life, I'm alive. I'm alive. The old nature is done. There is a new nature within me. Everybody say that's good news. Oh, that's such good news. And so if you want to jot this down, one of my favorite verses, Sarah and I started off our, our engagement in our marriage with Psalm 37.4 because in our hearts and in our minds, we can now do something so different. When you become alive, you can you can obey this. The call from the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you, He will give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you new desires as you delight in Him. I don't delight in the old anymore. The old is gone. I'm delighting in new things. He's changing my taste buds of, of the soul. I now want things I never wanted before. How awesome is that? Are you hearing stories like that? I get the perspective of hearing stories all the time of individuals in our church that are like, I never would have done this before. I, I never would have desired this before. Things are changing in me. Why do I now want to serve the Lord when I'm just so bored with God and the Bible? Why do I want to read this book now? Why do I want to serve Him? Why do I want to tell others about Him? I've, I've never wanted that before. Why do I want to think about ministry and pursuing ministry in my future? Why do I want to do a deeper dive into understanding who my God is? I never desired that. Here it is. When the old goes and we're saved, we're saved from the old self, there's now new desires. 
because there's a new object of delight. Are you delighting in your God? Are you turning from the old nature? Here we go. This is the last one. Ever say it's last. Oh, the last one is the hardest one. The last one is the one we don't want to talk about. What have you been saved from? Death, sin, lifestyle, worldliness, Satan, the old nature, hell. Hell. This is what he says. Verse 3. You see it there? The final section. And you were by nature children of wrath. Of wrath. That was your destiny. That was your, your outcome. That was the finality of your life, just like the rest of mankind. A wrathful, righteous God. And I, I've been in ministry long enough to know as soon as we talk about any kind of judgment, any kind of punishment, any kind of eternal hell, that a lot what comes to into conversation is this. How can a God of love send anybody to hell? And I, I would just say this. If we're all born rebels and we don't want Jesus telling us what to do and we don't want to submit ourselves to God and we push against and run away from Him our entire lives, why would we want to spend forever with a God that we lived hating? A loving God wouldn't force you to live with a God you refuse to bow the knee to right now. If you don't want to hear his voice while you're alive, why would you want to listen to his voice forever? And the other part is, when we think about God as love, love is one attribute of God. One attribute doesn't mean that's only what God is like, and that's the only attribute of God. God is also a God of justice. He's a, he's a judge. He's a an angry at sin and evil God. That is also part of his, his character. It's difficult for us to think about, but we need to be moved with urgency to think about this. We're saved from hell. We're saved from hell. And I hope if you're a Christian that you wake up every morning and go, are you saying that I was on my way to hell and now I wake up thinking, I know for certain that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with my God who I seek to serve and love and obey. There is nothing better, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing in the day, to say heaven's coming soon. It's going to be here soon. It's not always going to be like this. There is going to be a forever without tears, without pain, without suffering, without grief and loss, without anxiety, without depression, forever and ever and ever. Amen? Here we go. If you're taking notes, write this down. Not only remember I was dead in my sins, but unable to respond. I couldn't respond because I was dead. Number two, worship. 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 God made me alive together with Christ. He made me together. Alive. All alive. We are with Him. We are together, united. Verse four, but God. But God. Everybody say, but God. Oh, such bad news. And I hope you have that sink in. Paul's like, this is all true by nature, but, 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 but God showed up. But God's on the scene. But God did something about it. But God moved on your behalf. But God, being rich, filthy, rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Do you believe it? Even when you feel rejected, alone, I am so loved. I have a wealthy in mercy God and He loves me. He loves me on my worst day. 
He loves me on my best day. He loves me when I stray. He loves me when I come home. He loves me. He loves me. Do you believe it? And sometimes it's hard to believe, right? Sometimes it's hard to believe. But God, being rich in mercy, his great love, his great love, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Everybody say bad news. Even when we were dead, even when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. Oh, by grace you've been saved. How? How? By, by grace. By grace. It's all grace. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? We want to believe that we play a part and that I do something and that I'm working a little bit harder than somebody else and I'm following the rules and they're not following the rules. It's grace. It's grace. By grace. The God who is rich, filthy rich in mercy. He mercies us. He graces us. Even though there's so much bad news, it's new. It's different. God made us alive. He made us alive by grace. Verse 6, do you see it? And he raised us up with him. He raised us. He raised us up. Resurrection. Resurrection. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. His kindness. Do you believe he's kind? His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So how did all this happen? How did all this happen? How is it that I went from death, okay? So born, I, I don't know when you were born. We don't have to share dates, okay? Born in sin, in death, living in sin the whole way until we reach a point where, boom! Jesus shows up on the scene. The Jesus that I ignored, the Jesus that I pushed away, the Jesus that I rebelled against, the God that I didn't want anything to do with, he came to me when I was running away. When I was dead, he made me alive. And now what happens? Now in Christ, I'm alive. And it doesn't matter if you only live for another six months after becoming a Christian or a year or decades and decades and decades. Now this whole new season of your life is to be marked by living the life. Not looking back at the death, not thinking about where I used to be, not overwhelmed with all the consequences Though there may be some consequences from your, your past. Anybody want to hang out after church and talk about consequences of past sin? I, I, can, I can share some, even that are continuing to this day. But that's not where I'm looking, and it's not where I'm focused. There is life to be lived. I'm alive. Resurrection power. And guess what? We are only living in that resurrection life as much as we choose to live, right? We, we choose to tap into the power. You can be a Christian unplugged all day long. You can complain about how you lack life and how you lack joy and how you lack peace. And may I just say, you can choose. You can choose. I'm plugging in today. All the life that he's offering me, I want it. I want more of it. I want to experience it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to just talk about it. I don't think it's just good for other people. I want to live alive. Do you want that? And, and we're doing something, I don't know if you've noticed, we're doing something that we started weeks ago to be able to have individuals just come up and testify of what God is doing in their life because God's alive. And, and for many of us, we're like, I see it. I see it. And I want more of it. I'm experiencing it myself. And God's just getting started. He's just getting started. I don't know how many times over the past weeks that I've been able to have conversations and I'm like, you think that's awesome? God's just getting started, right? You, you, think, you think that little bit of life is like, 
Where is this coming from and how is this possible? God's just getting warmed up and providing life where there was once so much death. I don't know where you're at right now feeling like I'm still living a story of death. But today it could change. Today it could change. You could say, I'm so sick and tired of living in the dark. I want light. I'm so sick of death. I want life. I'm so sick of wallowing in the past and being stuck. I want to be free. Do you believe that could happen today? They could say, God, I don't have to work it off. I don't have to try really hard. Today I can say, God, I want to be alive. I want to be fully alive, on fire for you. I want to be living for your purposes. I'm so done with the old. I want I want the new. I want to worship. That's what it should lead to. I'm, just, I'm worshiping my way through my life. And it's so incredible to think of the reasons that we have to worship our God. There's a, there's a story, and it goes, a prison warden, and he had one son. And this, and this prison warden, he was in charge of death row. Apparently, death row is now in North Texas. So we have 45 people at any given time looking to the electric chair or injection. And th think about a warden that is living his life to do what's right and to bring justice. And he says to a young man on death row, days away from being terminally electrocuted. And he says, not because of anything that you've done, young man, not because that you've done anything good in your life at all, not because of your works, because you can't work this off. Next week, your scheduled appointment with the chair, you're not going to be in it. Because I, I'm going to put my son in that chair for you. And I'm going to watch him suffer and die for you. And you're not just going to walk, walk free from, from this place after everything you've done of raping and molesting and chopping people up and hiding body parts and everything you've done, I'm going to bring you home and I'm going to adopt you into my family and I'm going to take care of you and everything that's mine is yours. God is not just a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's not just a God that holds back the punishment deserved then lavishes on us every good gift. One, one quote that stuck with me all week long. Mercy is God's favor that holds back from us what we deserve. Grace is God's favor that gives us what we do not deserve. You see it in verse 8 here. For by grace, everybody say grace. For by grace you have been saved through works. Is that what your, what your translation says? For by grace you have been saved through trying really hard to clean up your life. Is that, that was a bad translation. I don't know where that one came from. For by grace you have been saved through faith, through belief, through active, obedient belief. This is not of your own doing. It's not of your own doing. You offered nothing. You gave nothing. It's a gift. Everybody say gift. It's a gift of God. It's a gift. Verse 9, not a result of works. Man, I wish Scripture was really clear that it wasn't by our works, but it, it's by grace. I just wish there was one place in Scripture that would just like lay it all out. Not a result of works. Not works. Not works. Say it with me. Not works. I'm not convinced. Keep going. Not works. Not works. It's, it's not works. It's not works. 
You, you bring nothing to the table. You offer God nothing. There's nothing that he needs from you. There's nothing you need to work off. There's no badness in the rearview mirror that you can somehow try to compensate for or overcome. It's not by works. It's not by works. It's not by works. How come it's not by works? Why, why don't I present something to God? Why don't we work together on this salvation deal? Why don't I be made alive? Because like, I worked really hard on that gurney even though my heart stopped. I worked really hard to get it pumping and then God kind of did the rest. I took the paddles and it was like, and like I made myself alive a little bit, didn't I? Didn't I? What does it say? Verse 9 ends with this, so that no one may boast. There's no ability to say, well, I did a little bit. I wasn't that bad. Well, I kind of always have loved God. I've always kind of done the right thing. According to Scripture, not Pastor John, according to Scripture, there's no bragging. There's no ability to, to say, I offered 2%. It's all of grace. And that's really hard to believe. It's really hard to believe. Sometimes we feel like I got myself in. I can get myself out. I kind of worked hard for it, so maybe I can lose my salvation. I know that I'm going to heaven now, but what if I commit a certain type of sin? Well, then that would be you being able to boast. This is such a glorious passage. I hope you hear such good news, and I hope you're able to reject maybe old thinking We did nothing except for offer more and more sin that earned more and more death. So here it is. Remember, I was dead in my sins, unable to respond to God. Number two, worship. Worship. I remember and I worship. God made me alive. He made me alive in Him. Number three, lastly, write this down. Celebrate. Celebrate. Now I am called to bring Him glory as I serve Him passionately. Now I'm called to bring Him glory as I serve Him passionately. I don't know if you are here, but I hope you hear what God wants to say to you. I don't know if you're living this or embracing this, but today could be the day. Verse 10, why all this goodness? Why did God do all this for me? For or because we're his workmanship. Verse 10, do you see it? We're created or literally recreated in Christ Jesus. Why? Why did he make me alive? Why did he forgive me? For good works. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk new lifestyle in Him. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming to really believe I'm not a mistake. I'm not where I am because I just made a bunch of random decisions. Before time began, before all of it, I was on God's mind. He knew there was going to be a time I was going to be created. He was going to be so intentional in placing me in a certain generation, in a certain place, so that I would live out the work that needs to be done in me, but also through me. I'm his object of work and craftsmanship to be used for purposes that are way beyond me. Do you, do you not just believe that, but are you living that? Can I, I don't know if this is provocative, but can I throw this out? Jesus was sent on earth to do good work, a work from his Father. And do you know that the vast majority of the work that Jesus was called to do was before his ministry started? Do you realize for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, his good work 
was not proclaiming the gospel and seeking to go to the cross to lay down his life for people. He was a carpenter. He was trained up as a carpenter. Do you believe that much of his good work was to be an absolute obedient son in his family? Good work at home. He was called to learn a craft and to work his tail off for the glory of his heavenly father alongside his earthly father and that the majority of his time was whittling wood to the glory of God before he ever hit the streets in Jerusalem proclaiming the good news that he was the Lamb of God that was going to take away the sin of the world. So I don't know what you think about your workplace. I don't know what you think about hanging in your neighborhood. I don't know what you think about your extended family. I don't know what you think about the mundane, but here's, this shouldn't be any, any shocker, right? Here it is. The vast, vast majority of your life is going to be spent in the mundane, boring moments of your life, and that's exactly where good work needs to be lived. It's not the big flashy stuff. Guess what? The majority of your good work serving your king isn't even on this campus. The good work that God's calling you to do is every single day, as you're going throughout your day, there is work to be done. And God designed it that before anything was created, He had a plan for you to be made for more than just going through the motions and hoping that a few people like you and that you're not super angry that day or someone doesn't do something stupid or you're able to at least make a little bit more money and get to retirement. You're not made for that. You're made for good work to live out the work that he wants to do through you in places that you don't think are very important or very flashy or where nobody else sees. It's like, why is this happening here? Like, this isn't church, right? Like, God does stuff at church, and when I go to church, spiritual things happen. Your whole life is spiritual. There's no secular and sacred divide. Your whole day, your whole life is a sacred call to live out your identity in Christ. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you live fully alive everywhere you're at when nobody else is looking, when it doesn't seem like it matters, that that's where God is saying there's good work for you to do here. There's good work for you to do with them, for them. It's about you experiencing fullness of life as you surrender to him. Everybody say, land the plane. We're saved from what? From death, sins, evil lifestyle, Satan, our old nature, and hell. We're saved by Jesus and his grace. We are saved for good work to passionately serve our King that He prepared before even creation and to celebrate what God wants to do in us. And so as we, as we stand, let's do this. Let's stand to our feet. If you need to stretch, all right, shake it out, get the blood flowing, okay? Let's do this. Our last three resolutions, okay? If you remember nothing, okay? If you fell asleep after point number two, here we go. Okay, you, you got it all right here. All right, let's say this together and from the heart that we would believe this and live this, that we were dead and now we're fully alive. Let's read it together. I was dead in my sins, unable to respond to God. Number two, God made me alive together with Christ. And lastly, I am called to bring Him glory as I serve Him passionately.